Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. Owen, Murph and Ken all here. Hello there, All ready to go. Hello Hi again. Right. Ireland's World Cup warm-up series begins in Cardiff on Saturday. And I, for one, am concerned about something here physical well-being of our players being pitted against these giants from Wales. Have you heard what these guys been up to with their fitness work? Uh, I've, I've read I've read some articles that remind me quite a bit of other articles that I've read about the Welsh rugby team. Coming into the 2011 World Cup, for example. Well, I'm surprised if you haven't heard anything about this because they've been shouting it from the rooftops. A selection of headlines from Wales Online. Rugby World Cup 2015, behind the scenes with Wales as brutal training regime reaches new levels. Another one here. Wales rugby star Luke Charteris reveals altitude boot camp has left players unable to sleep and struggling for breath. And one more. George North's unique insight into horrendous and savage life with Wales. Wales wing George North has opened up on the true extent of the Welsh players suffering this summer, revealing he has seen gremlins during the exhausting fitness regime. So they've been up to Swiss Alps for altitude training, over to Doha for some heat work. A trip to Poland, apparently, for some uh, cryotherapy sessions. That's, uh, I heard that mentioned, but maybe that's being confused with their preparation for the last World Cup. And all to play rugby in Wales and England for a couple of What about uh, skydiving? I don't think they're... Just, no, none of it. Why would they Arctic skydive? warfare training? Uh, I think they've kept that to a minimum. Few holes in the preparation then, isn't there? Fail to prepare. <laughs> yeah. You know that Wales, um, the Welsh football team is about to pass out the Welsh rugby team in terms of world rankings. That's something I'd worry about if I was Wales. Really? Mm. Why, how high is a Welsh, Welsh football team? They're up to number nine in the world. Right. Uh, the Welsh rugby team is at number six. That um, would be a turn. And about to be knocked out in the group stages of the Rugby World Cup. Ah, no. So that's going to that's gonna really hurt them. Who are, they, who are they in the group with? Well, they're actually in a group with Australia and England. In a like, comically hard group in the Rugby World Cup. <sighs> you don't see them come through that, do you? I could see them. Yeah, I could. That's, that's a little a bit of up. math for you here on. Three into two. <laughs> just, so, just so. Not forgetting Fiji, of course. Another tricky game. And yeah. Wales only have a five-day tournament. Listen, the question... There's a, there is a question about why you need to train at altitude to play rugby in Wales. Yeah. And there is there is that. I, there's, I know there's boosting of red blood cells and these general benefits that go with it. Certainly for endurance runners, they would train at altitude quite a lot, even if they didn't play at altitude. I haven't heard of that many rugby teams doing it. Although they do all have their altitude, their oxygen tents these days, and I guess that produces the, the same benefits. Mm-hmm. But what is interesting here is 
this what it is is a macho show. It's not so much the doing of the training; it's the bigging up of it. You know, there's official videos on the Welsh website showing how tough this is, and uh, the players like Charters and George North talking about not being able to sleep, seeing uh, seeing gremlins. Mm. All these kind of things. It's one of these things where it's a, a real macho show of strength by Gatlin. You might remember before the 2011 World Cup, they talked about a lot about those cryotherapy chambers in Poland, as if they'd invented the concept. Uh, even though GA players, they've been were there years in before cryotherapy chambers. Yeah, like and, the, and the Irish players have been there a long time before that. But they did look very fit last time, and they did have a very good World Cup. So this is the Gatland way, maybe the opposite way to Joe Schmidt. But it is possible that both ways are correct for each mm. team, and it, maybe. Each nation, you know, maybe the Welsh as a nation uh, really enjoy reading these uh, these stories. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I it's it's kind of weird. Uh, it's a very macho way of going about things. Mm-hmm. I don't really see the the point of it. Really, I mean, I, like I suppose rugby writers are very excited about the Rugby World Cup and they have to write something. It gives them more to write about than maybe the Irish rugby writers have had to write about over the last mm. couple of months. Well, what have our guys been doing? They've Jumping go- naked into a lake? No, very little again. None of that. They've been at Carton House for a lot of it. They've been around the country. They've gone over to Galway and Cork and a bunch of other places and done their training from bases well, there. Well, I mean, why are Wales going to Poland, you know, what were the Doha, other places? Doha. Uh, Doha. The Swiss Alps. That's where the altitude stuff is going on. And we, right and we are Swiss, going Swiss to Alps. where? Kilkenny, Waterford? <laughs> yeah. It's a- you think we're missing anything? Joe Schmidt has maybe dropped the ball in this one. Well, uh, I mean, I'm sure Joe Schmidt knows what he's doing. He does have a vague idea. Um, I don't know. Has Joe Schmidt even thought about it much? Maybe he just thinks, look, we'll, we'll be a bit more holistic in our approach. I thought, one. though, that the, the whole thing of, of a brutal pre-World Cup training camp in rugby was, not, if not exactly discredited, then at least um, since the whole South African episode. Oh, yeah. Before 2003 World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, they took all the players' clothes away for about three weeks. Uh, they made the players dwell naked in the bush for three weeks. And the only kind of signs of civilization that they had were the um, fire hoses of freezing water that they'd occasionally pump over them or the speakers that they'd use to play God Save the Queen at them uh, or the metal pipes they would hit them with as they chased them around the bush at night. And, you know, this was all considered to be good pre-World Cup preparation type stuff. Yeah. You know, to get the all players. part of a public school education, as far as, as all, <laughs> so far so normal, I think. But it turned out once it, once it became public knowledge that people began to say, "Is this really relevant to the task the of preparing bit, players for you know, 2003? Is weird. this a little strange? This what was it called? Camp Camp Staldrad, which it translates roughly uh, from Afrikaans as Camp Barbed Wire. Of course, all the best <laughs> camps are built of barbed wire. <laughs> And so, no yeah, connotations I, there that need to be I th- anyone needs to be concerned with. I thought after that whole episode that maybe people were, um, you know, kind of not not necessarily always wanting to emphasize the brutal aspects. Mm. I mean, you used the word brutal in your intro. I think well, it was one of the headlines. Training. Yeah, yeah. The, headlines. the first I mean, line of one of those articles: "It looks like a brutal scene from a brutal world's strongest man brutality competition." It looks the scene. It looks like the scene from a brutal world's strongest man competition. But this is actually the Welsh rugby team preparing for the World Cup. Warren Cotton squad arrived and blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, there's pictures of them with medicine balls and all sorts of stuff. You know, training actually is what the photographs look like. They're training. The it's the actual it's the the article. In the Magnus quotes. Magnuson is in there. Yeah, uh, he's he's overseeing some elements yeah. of their preparation. Yes, 
Uh, so yeah. Ken doesn't agree. Joe Schmidt has just revealed the identity of the poor unfortunates who will be thrown to those Welsh Lions. The team's been named. Be gentle. We'll <laughs> chat to Shane Horgan in a little bit. Croke Park and Saturday Murph were expecting two slightly more competitive quarterfinals than the two we got last week. Will any team concede seven goals this weekend? Uh, I wouldn't think so. Uh, Monaghan don't make a habit, or indeed Donegal. But then again, Mayo got four against them the last time they played the quarterfinals. So I suppose we shouldn't we shouldn't joke oh, yeah. about it. But um, I don't think so. I think we're going to see. Uh, uh, some rather less high scoring uh, than we saw yesterday, or at least four teams scoring roughly the same uh, as each other, as opposed to two teams scoring a lot and two more teams scoring not quite so much. No, two uh, really mouthwatering games this weekend. Uh, Mayo Donegal is like yeah, they're two such maybe, interesting counties, yeah. particularly in the last few years. Well, Mayo always have been pretty much yeah, uh, and. Uh, I, that it's, I remember that the game you were talking about the quarterfinal where Mayo hammered them and there was such a shock for that to happen even though Donegal that season looked not dissimilar to maybe how they looked against Mon in the Ulster yeah. final this time they looked like they were on the ropes a little bit but you still weren't expecting a team managed by Jim McGuinness to be annihilated in that way yeah uh, one of the most extraordinary games of the last 10 years I think it's uh, safe to say that Mayo-Donegal game um, and yeah there, like, there are still so many questions over them to be honest could we be talking about the first Gaelic football game of the season? <laughs> uh, I think that might be overblowing it slightly, but I mean, this is the first time the two of the big four have played in the championship. You're forgetting Westmead, Mead, Murph. That was very exciting at the time. Yeah, the, sorry, the first game between two teams who might actually win the All Ireland. Ah, okay. Oshie McConville and Malachi Clerken are in studio, lads. Thanks very much for joining us. How are you? You're trucking on there, Oshin. I don't know if we should uh, inform our listeners here, though, because in case they think you sound a little bit off the the pace here today, you're actually, your chair, you've been usurped today. Maggie Clerken is sitting in your usual chair, and you're struggling directly in front of me. Well, it's not causing me any issues. Uh, I haven't stopped shaking since I, since I sat down in this, this chair. <laughs> Thus far, yeah. it's, it's, it's not causing a problem. Can I just, I'm sweating, I'm yeah. sweating <laughs> profusely and stuff like that. Don't worry about me, Malik, you sit where you Can are. I just remind you all, you are in the Irish Times. You have, <laughs> you have all been invited here. <laughs> yeah, true. I will it's sit true. where I like. Malachi, Sorry, Malachi. Uh I remember we had a chat when the Monaghan player tested positive for the banned substance earlier on in the year, and... Part of the chat was about the onus on elite GEA players to fall into line, despite being amateurs, because there was a line of argument, well, should they even be tested and all that. Uh, as part of that argument, I made the point, well, you know, this is a, a guy who could conceivably be on a team that plays in front of 83,000 in an All-Ireland final later on in the year. You seemed uh, to think that was a very you unlikely laugh. prospect. I, I think you might have... I did laugh. Hang on. I, I, I am going to pull you up. You, oh, said, right, okay. you, see, you said that they might win an All-Ireland. Well, you, didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't lowball it by saying <laughs> that they might play in a final. I, I mightn't have fallen off the chair if you said that. How <laughs> unlikely is the prospect of them winning an All-Ireland now? Uh, still still too, e- too early for me to gloat, is what you're saying? A little too early <laughs> for you to gloat, but trust me, if they do, you can gloat away. <laughs> right, yeah. I, yeah, I, they still look a little short of it. You know, if 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 you're coming from the weekend we just had, where you saw two teams... Where, like, they literally could not run out of people to score. Um, Monaghan thrown on the weekend. We we know now Conor McManus will be the top scorer for Monaghan. Um, he'll probably outscore everybody else by two or three points, maybe a goal in two or three points. Um, they're they're a really sort of together team. They're playing really sort of. Great solidarity and great intelligence, 
but they're they're having to play that way because they just don't have the array of talent of the of the bigger teams. And they look they they can I I could see them beating anybody on their day. I could see them beating a Kerry on their day. I I can't see them beating a Kerry and a Dublin. Uh, obviously, I know what you're saying. They couldn't do what Kerry and Dublin did last Sunday, but does that actually matter, Oshin? Do will you know? Will they need to you know pull up a huge score between now and September? They they won't. No, not not the way they are constructed defensively. They're very very good defensively. Uh, everything the Maliki O'Rourke has done since he came in has been built around how they are going to be difficult to beat, and then he's tried to progress that. I'm probably going back to a point that I've made twenty times this year. But if they can afford, if they can get a one line up to the pace and afford to pay play Keon Q's alongside mm. Conor McManus I still think that I think the only team they can't beat in this championship is Dublin <clears throat> I've seen them during the, I've seen them play the two league games it was actually in Clonus that day that uh, Dublin run riot on them and I, I don't know why they struggle to cope in particular with Dublin probably because of that half four line in particular um, Dave McConnelly caused them untold problems the last day um, I just think that that's the only team in this championship that Monaghan can't realistically beat. Strange thing is, though, they could be beat this weekend. You know what yeah. I mean? It's that, it's just a really tough one to call. Uh, Monaghan in the past have had a real mental block going in against against Throne until two years ago. Uh, last when, year. Last year when yeah. they beat them in the championship. And that was a real watershed moment for this uh, for this Monaghan team. Um, and... and you know, and they've been so they were so close for so many years to getting over the line against their own, but just couldn't manage it. And that gives them huge belief. I think Maliki O'Rourke at this moment in time is probably the best manager in the game because I think the trick as a manager is to try and get the best out of what you have, and he certainly has got the best out of what he has. Monaghan have players playing in the forward line who aren't going to get you scores but are going to give you a huge amount of endeavour. They're going to give you a break ball. They're going to get back in and fill the role that they're exactly told to fill. Mm. Uh, Monaghan have had an opportunity to look at Tyrone over the last couple of weeks and I think that's probably the reason why it'll just get over the line against them. Best manager in the game? Yeah, he, I mean, he certainly has claims on it. He, he, I would certainly say that if I was to to give a manager a fortnight to come up with a plan to beat a team, um, I I wouldn't mind whether it was him or Eamon Fitzmaurice. Um, he, like, the, the Ulster final um, against Donegal, some of the, like, <laughs> what I really like about him is that, is that some of the things that they, that they go out to do, they, like, he has no problem with it sort of showing up on video afterwards that this was a pre-designed plan. If you saw, say, the Monaghan kickouts in the Ulster final, like I didn't count them, but you would say nearly 50% of them from Rory Began dropped within three metres of either sideline. That was their thing. They said, you know, Kieran Hughes ran to one sideline or Owen Lennon ran to the other sideline or Darren Hughes ran to one sideline and the other sideline. And the ball dropped on a sixpence right there. And the I would say that he he could even he changed that again on on the weekend. So it's adaptable enough that he can come Completely up with different adaptable. plans he, for each game. And and what what is really sort of stands out is that this team does what he says. Like Kieran Hughes is a terrific 
point taker. He's a brilliant uh, scorer. Um, he was like in in all the teams, the school teams he was on, and the club teams he was on growing up. He was the full forward, the guy that scored like two six two seven. His brother caught the ball in the middle of the field, played it into him, and he did all the scoring. Um, his brilliant, main brilliant hands. and his main job in this modern team is to come and catch the kick out or to 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 make the kick out go Monaghan's way and he absolutely does it he con, con, subsumes his his ego or whatever and does it for the team Dermot Malone who's a player that like a lot of people you really kind of want to know your Monaghan football to 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 <laughs> to, 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 to be impressed by this Pretty guy soon, yeah. he plays as a number 13 he comes right out and I'd say if the ball is in his hands for 10 seconds in the whole game, that might be it. He gets on, he gets on breaks, he annoys people, he tackles back, he, and he does a completely selfless job. And they all do this really selfless work. And it's built on, like, it's, you know, there's no, no getting away from it. It's built on the Donegal model. It's everybody runs until it drops. Everybody does their job. And it, it's impressive to watch. But, again, I come back to the All-Irelands are one by the teams who play the other way, you know, the, the, who, who, you know, keep three forwards in front of goals, who don't commit everybody back, who have more than one guy that's going to be able to do all the scoring. And just, I just think Monaghan run out of road eventually. Yeah, I, I think that the Monaghaners are interesting. I'm like, I found it uh, weird, say last week in the... Uh, on the TV coverage, and people are still talking about how the big four are just so much farther away. And you're going, I think, in fairness to Monaghan, you should clarify what team you're, what the, what teams you're actually talking about there, because if the big four are so far ahead of everyone else, how could Monaghan beat one of the big four like three weeks ago? You know, it's <laughs> bizarre. But I mean, the reason why they're not one of the the anointed four, I suppose, is that you can make a very solid argument for. Instead of talking about Monaghan winning the All-Ireland as this kind of nebulous concept, mm. what you're actually talking about is Monaghan to beat Tyrone this, this Saturday, then have three weeks to, two weeks to plan to beat, to beat Kerry, and then have another three weeks to plan whoever they're playing mm. in the Ireland final. And in that sort of situation, you can actually make an argument that you could see Monaghan doing that. You know, it's it's not. You sure. know, you're not going to sway him, uh, Murph. No, but the thing is, he, uh, he refuses. Uh, to, not, no, no, but but I, I, and I guess what the what the other side of it though is, and certainly this is this is this would be it for for Monaghan people. And if if I'm reluctant, it would be part of it. Like Monaghan have never been in a, they've been in one All Ireland final ever in 1930. You know, it's just it's just not a thing. Mm. You know, yeah. it's not it's not a concept that modern people could really get until, their head around until, until it happens. happens. Yeah. Until it happens, and that's and that's the thing. And I think that um, uh, you know, you we're probably right actually that the the, the big four as discussed last year they beat Kildare Murph, who was their first win in Croke Park in a championship game since 1930. Yeah, and you're you're trying to get them into the big four. <laughs> well. I mean, sort of gets into top dog as I uh, top dog, yeah. Yeah, well, I I think that maybe in fairness to Monaghan, we should talk about uh, a bit uh, a big five. <laughs> okay, um, but big four and a half. See, that, but this <laughs> this is it. That basically you can make an argument for them to win individual games, but for them sure. to get all the way, uh, they, maybe they're still a little short. But I, I have to say, I'm I'm an admirer of them, and I think that. They, they get over this this weekend. You can you can start making that argument. We've barely mentioned Tyrone. I'm sure uh, any Tyrone listeners are delighted with the tone of this conversation so far, Oshin. But are, are they? 
it's are they where they've been for the last few years, which is to say, just just off that top level. I'm going to be accused of bias because <laughs> there's nothing worse than listening to our man talk about Tyrone and Tyrone football, but. Uh, they definitely have progressed. I think uh, Bradley gives them a new dimension at Santa Hall Four. They they have really struggled to replace uh, Brian McGuigan uh, since he since he left. Uh, you know he Bradley looks the real deal. He's small and 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 all that. There. He doesn't look that physically. He might struggle maybe a little bit this weekend with the fact that Munnan get a lot of numbers back. I don't think Tyrone have been properly tested yet. I, I said the last day that I thought that if there was going to be a shock lot. Uh, at the weekend, it was going to be uh, Sligo. Sligo, you know, just couldn't win their own kickouts, and if they had it, it probably would have caused thrown a lot more trouble. Uh, defensively, I don't think they look good enough. They're going to have the double mark. McManus probably, uh, and I don't think that they have the wherewithal to keep him quiet. And because of that, I just think that that Mona will have enough. Uh, Throne have progressed. The one thing that that Throne really need this weekend, I think, if they are going to win, is the fact that. McCurry seems to play well one game and McCallaxy seems to play, play well the next Absolutely. game. If they can get those two guys going really, really well, Bradley chipping in and Sean Cavanagh chipping in, they will get scores. In a league match this year in Tyrone, Darren McCurry kicked 16 points. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're playing against nobody, if you're out in the field on your own. <laughs> it's, it's, gonna be di- it's difficult to kick 16 points. And uh, he kicked 16 points in the league game, so he's got he's got massive amount of potential. And when he's firing and when he's confident he's very very hard to handle but well, I just think that they, that Monaghan will handle those two it's funny what you say. The, the, McCurry and McCallisey are almost Tyrone's problems over the last six seven years in microcosm in that Tyrone have had an awful lot of players who are completely interchangeable over the they have had a yeah. core of three four you know Peter Hart Matty Donnelly Joe McMahon when he's been able to play, Sean and Colin Kavanagh when they've, when they've been playing. But outside of that, you know, exactly. One week McCurry would do it, the other week McCallisky would do it. Some weeks neither of them would do it. Um, at the back, you'd have, you know, you have your Ronan McNabbs, you have your McNamese, your McCloy or McCrory. All these guys that are, you know, again, you kind of need to know your throne football to be able to pick, you know, to separate them from each other. And... That that has the the fact that they had that core of of five or six quality players like Peter Hart is is one of the best players in Ulster, best players in Ireland. Like he's he he's one of the one of the few guys that you look in that throne team now and go, God, that the two thousand and eighteen would have really liked that guy, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. really raw boned, hardy, but really classy in possession, takes the right option, uh, is very tough. Like he would have fit in absolutely in those teams, uh, Matty Donnelly a bit the same, but they they just have never really had enough outside of that. Um, but like what Oshim was saying earlier about they had the mental uh, wood over Monaghan for an awful long time, um, and it would be interesting now to see um, have, have Monaghan turned that around. This is as settled. Just to make the point. This is as settled as a team as Mickey Hart has had mm-hmm. since away. Yeah. Because it's been chopping, changing, and eventually he sort of found the formula. Tiernan McCann's a very important player for them as well. He's somebody who who fits that role that he can, you know, get back, uh, fill the gaps, and and also you know get forward. He seems looks like a boy with a good engine. At halftime last Saturday at Croker, uh, we were all looking at Donegal. Donegal themselves are maybe looking to the abyss a little bit. They had all the answers in the second half. Enough answers, Oshin, to convince you that they're well that they can get past Mayo. 
enough to say that they'll they'll be there or thereabouts with Mayo. Um, for some reason, I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but it sort of reminds me of a couple of years ago when Mayo walked clean over the top of Donegal, mm-hmm. and I just get the impression that you know it could be something similar this weekend in that Mayo's coming in really, really fresh. I think if Mayo can get on top of Donegal early, I think the doubts set in then at that stage. I thought the bench uh, last week for Donegal didn't improve them all that much, to be honest. I know Christy Tighe got on late and scored a goal, but really and truly, when it was in the melting pot, they were looking to McFadden and, and Murphy again. You know, and Ray McHugh chipped in obviously and got his goal, but, uh, but they delivered those guys. And McFadden, absolutely. with that one performance alone, suddenly looked like the player he was a couple of years. Well, ago. funny thing is, he's had a couple of performances like that this year, and even in the first game against Tyrone yeah. this year, you know, he, he 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 played well, and he you know he played a different role in that game. I think I think when it comes to Crow Park, I think something ignites in, in Colin McFadden, and he he's always there or thereabouts. Uh, he'll get room this weekend. You know, Mayo give him room, and they'll give Murphy room, and they'll give McBrady a little bit of room, and they mightn't track Ray McHugh's runs. Uh, but I just imagine that Mayo can't come as naive as they have done in the past, as naive as they played against Kerry in the in the semi final last year. People think that they won't change, and I have a fair idea that they'll play some sort of sweeper. Do you think so? Because Jim McGuinness yeah. was talking about this on Sky, and he seemed convinced that they wouldn't. He said, as like you say, that they should, but that. That would involve a big philosophical shift that he doesn't think is he doesn't see any signs of happening in Mayo football. This one year. one point just for Malagi is just that I think that Donegal allow you to do that though. Donegal allow you to have to bring that player back, and it doesn't really mess with you know what you've do, what you, what you're doing. I think they need to get they need to get ball into into Aidan O'Shea if they can, but Aidan O'Shea can't afford to spend his whole time, and we talked about this before more about uh, spending his whole time at full forward. He needs to, you know, be flexible in and out from, from half, in, in that half forward lane, and go wherever the danger is, be a, be a bit like Murphy has been for, for Donegal over the last couple of years, to go put out a few fires, but be at the edge of the square when they need him. But. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a, a, a big thing, even from the point of view of, say, a goalless border watching the game last week, that every time Murphy went in there, it it was a signal for a little bit of panic in the goal, like, yeah. as a supporter, but also in the goal back line. And, like, that's what Aidan O'Shea should... He should be messing with people's heads mm. by yeah. playing at centre-forward and, and doing the hard slog, and then for, like, five-minute bursts, get in there and all of a sudden it's, there's an element of panic there that you that actually lessens the more time he spends. If he spends all the game in there, people get used to the idea of him yeah. being in there. From from a Mayo defensive point of view, right? Yeah. Um, if if Michael Murphy, as he will do, trots into to full forward on and off, on and off, and Mayo don't, if Mayo are just content with leaving Tom Kniff there to, you know, try and deal with him, um, then I don't know what what the whole point of the whole thing is. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> of the whole sport of, of life, of ge- genuinely. Like if if it, it has been very very easy to pinpoint what has happened at really crucial times for Mayo over the last few years. They've given away idiotic goals when they were on top, and they've done it. I, Kieran Donaghy ruined them last year. And I remember in the in the replay, halfway through the replay, when Jerry Cafferkey was getting skinned by him, 
I remember th- thinking I'd, I'd I'd heard I'd I'd spoken to a few people about the sort of the Mayo team, and um, you got you got that real sense of of a brotherhood. Like they are they are com- they were a complete brotherhood, and and I presume still are, but certainly under Horan, like they they had really drawn tight. And Kafferke was one of their leaders. Like he was he's one of the most intelligent guys. He's a bit of a quirky individual. Like he's a, he's a really highly intelligent guy and a real kind of leader of men kind of guy. And I was watching Donaghy destroy him, and I was going, why aren't you changing this? Why are you leaving this guy here? And the theory I came up with was that that they're so, they were so tight, so such brothers, that they're going, Kaff will work this out. Yeah, he wouldn't so, do it, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. do it out of respect for yeah. Jerk we'll, we'll yeah. do. We'll, we'll trust our guy here. And it just, it, I, I kind of thought that it just superseded the very logical thing that you had to do there was you had to get a different man on him or you had to get somebody back to help him. So if they go in and Michael Murphy is left in there to do what he did to Finney and Hanley last Saturday, um, then Mayo are done. Like, then they, they have just, they haven't learned from, from what has beaten them in the past. And if they're not going to learn from what's beaten them in the past, then they are absolutely never going to win this bloody All-Ireland. Oshin? Yeah, I think they, I think they will though. I genuinely, yeah. th- I genuinely think that they will. They'll, br- they'll bring a player back and they'll play him in front of Murphy and uh, for whatever length of time Murphy spends a full forward. But I think th- on the opposite side, just go back to the O'Shea thing. I think Eamon uh, McGee normally picks up Aidan O'Shea if he plays at in that centre half forward role. He's he's picked him up in over the la- in the last couple of occasions. But uh, one of the things about that is that Neil McGee will probably be forced to pick up maybe O'Shea now. So out the field, I think Neil McGee can handle O'Shea. Pumping high balls in him on the edge of the square, I don't think Neil McGee has it, has it with, with O'Shea because he's stronger than him. And when somebody stronger comes up against Neil McGee, he's struggled with players like that in the past. Do you know what I think Mayo will, will love in the build-up to this, though, is everybody is talking about their second-best forward. And nobody's talking about their best. Yeah, <laughs> like if if We're Mayo, Mayo win in all Ireland, it's because Killian O'Connor will win it for them. Like yeah. he is, he's the best forward in Connacht. Like, and here we are all talking. They're about keeping it. him under wraps. Yeah. Well, but but this is hilarious. Like I, I was one. I was doing the Connacht final, and I could not for the life of me work out why Ian O'Shea was, was left on the field. Like you know, they were so far ahead. The Mayo crowd were just. They were only itching. To give him the walk off, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, round of applause, and I was wondering, was it? Where, are they just leaving him here so that for the next three weeks, all anybody talks about is Aidan O'Shea <laughs> and how he can lay waste to a to a defence and hide the fact that the best forward in Connacht is standing inside there. He scored one six on the day or something like that, and nobody mm. mentioned him. I'm loving your theories of Mayo football today, Matthew. We're going to, have to leave. Oh, actually, I'll ask you both predictions. Then we're talking. I'm going Monaghan Mayo. Monaghan Mayo. Yeah, Monaghan Mayo. Yeah. Monaghan Mayo. Okay, great stuff. Thanks for being that. Cheers. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ear. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, aestheticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Whoa, what do you think of Malachi Clerkin's theories on Mayo there, Murph? Does it enjoy, for, well, specifically that one that they maybe left Aidan O'Shea on the field last time out so that everybody forgets about. The mm. fact that they've got one of the deadliest sharpshooters in Gaelic football, Killian O'Connor, there. Uh, well, it, it is a nice theory, and, and certainly you could have uh, seen why they might have taken Aidan O'Shea off with a couple of minutes to go to give him the 
the let the waves of adulation hit him on the head as he uh, <laughs> walks off after scoring three four in the county final, all from play. But um, yeah, I mean it's it it is fair enough to assume that if you're watching Aidan O'Shea double marking Aidan O'Shea's uh, Noel Connolly was suggesting that Donegal would um, that it leaves a little bit more room for Killian O'Connor and. In the last couple of years, it boiled down to nearly a Conor McManus type situation with Killian O'Connor, whereby if you stop Killian O'Connor, you start you go a long way to stopping Mayo. I don't really think that you can say that this year. Not forgetting the All Ireland hurling semi final on Sunday, not Boker, for a moment, which we will obviously discuss in depth with plenty of reaction on Monday. Who's your money on here? Go there, well, Kenny Waterford. Well, uh, this is a match between the reigning All Ireland champions and the reigning National League champions, uh, Waterford have obviously done brilliant things this season, absolutely brilliant things this season. There was a rumour going around in the last 48 hours that TJ Reid and Richie Hogan have both picked up little injuries. I think if you're a Waterford uh, uh, fan, uh, that's pretty good news. But, I mean, there are injury concerns. At the moment, it looks like both of them are going to be fit to play. In fairness to Kilkenny and Brian Cody, I could be uh, immediately... uh, um, Second guessing myself before even putting it out there, Murph, but I don't think he's prone to putting out these false stories of injuries. No, particularly. And, so if there if there is a rumor, it's probably a rumor based on something that's happened. Yeah, um, but I mean, even without those two, you would still have to think that Kilkenny are just a little bit more used to the rarefied air of the championship at this level. But uh, one thing I would say is that Kilkenny have. They have had difficulty in the past with teams that have set out to play a, a very specific, certain way. Teams with a plan against them. Say like the Anthony Daly Clare team, by no means the best team that Clare have had in the last 25 years. It was 2005, I think. Brought Kilkenny to a draw uh, and a replay. They have had difficulty in the past. And if Waterford can play the way that... They, if they can play with a bit of conviction, then... I'll be interested to see how how long it how long it lasts. I mean, Richie Hogan though. I mean, I just this is one sportsman that I am just in the last in the last sort of twelve months or so watching this guy play is just a delight. The guy's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, so if he's not playing on uh, Sunday, good news for Watford, probably bad news for the rest of us though. The guy's brilliant. Good news for all you Premier League fans out there. The Irish Times Second Captain's preseason football podcast is out now. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> so it's um, the last uh, football podcast before the start of the Premier League season. We're going to talk a bit about, uh, what was it we talked about, Owen? We talked about John Stones. No, most importantly, Ken, you revealed your prediction for both Premier League champions 2015-2016 and pl- your player, your most important player of the season 2015-2016. Champions and player of the season, yeah. So You went for Arsenal and Petr Cech, but listen, you should, <laughs> have a, you should have a listen to the podcast anyway to get the reasons. I'm also backing Mayo for Sam. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Are you, Ken? I am. Mm. I am backing them, yeah, because I just, I'll tell you why. They've been there, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. You, right, for you, 50 odd years. You need to win one before you, you, need to win one before you certainly win. They have Lose that one before you win yeah, one. Yeah, they certainly have that covered. Uh, they've got some good footballers. That's definitely yep. true. They've got a. Sorry, the good footballers 
if you want to just run through. Aidan O'Shea, of, of yep, course. Yep. They've got an inchoate yearning <laughs> to be crowned All Ireland champions. Which they should really get that. When I out. look at when I look at the other um, the other teams, Dublin, Kerry, Donegal, fattened by victories, get aren't they? Slaked. Their lust has been slaked <laughs> uh, in recent years at various times. Whereas uh, Mayo burn, they burn and lust for uh, victory. And I think it's, it's eventually going to happen. Every, everyone, and everyone will be delighted. They'll be the most popular uh, winners uh, since, Dublin, since Dublin in 2013. Irish teams haven't exactly had a glittering record in their Rugby World Cup warm-up matches in recent years. Four defeats out of four before the 2011 tournaments. Uh, they're pretty much forgotten now, but just cast your mind back for a second. Those results did actually serve to put us all on edge a little bit after the disastrous lead into the 2007 World Cup when we lost to Scotland, had a jammy late victory at home to Italy and then played out that Battle of Bayonne. Jerry Thornley had a good piece on all this today and also reminds us that in 1991, the team toured Namibia for some reason and promptly got beaten in both tests over <laughs> Namibia, not exactly filling the nation full of confidence ahead of the 1991 World Cup. Joe Schmidt has named the team to play Wales and Cardiff on Saturday. It's hot off the press. Uh, Murph, you want to... Take us through it. I can yeah, do it. Well, it's, it's not a massive no, no, team. Here we go. Uh, uh, 15, fullback, Felix Jones, Andrew Trimble, Keith Earls, Darren Cave, Fergus McFadden, Paddy Jackson's out half, Owen Redden is scrum half. So that's Keith Earls and Darren Cave in the centre, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jack McGrath, Richard Strauss, Mike Ross is the front row, Ian Henderson, Donica Ryan, and then the back row is Jordy Murphy, Tommy O'Donnell and Jimmy Heathland. Shane Horgan is with us. Shane, any of those selections jump out at you as players who can force our way into Schmidt's thinking with just one big performance? I actually think there's a number of players that have a, a chance. Um, I think there's a number of players here that are being given an opportunity to try and force their way in, into the squad. Obvious examples are um, in the back three. I think it's the most competitive area for Ireland. Uh, Felix Jones is the only uh, obvious second um, second or primary full back, as it were, to Rob Carney. Um, but there are a lot of people who can cover that position. So he needs to prove that... Um, Ireland need another primary fullback. Mm-hmm. And the two wingers, Andrew Trimble hasn't played for Ireland for a long time, and neither is Ferguson Fadden, two guys who you would have thought maybe two years ago would certainly have been on the trip uh, because of the way things have progressed over the last while. It's a, it's a possibility that neither of them could be there. So a big performance from either of those, uh, you know, certainly one against the other and they could force their way in and then I'm looking at the centres as well Darren Cave has been knocking around the Irish team for a long time and has been in squads but never been quite good enough to get into the team he's given an opportunity at 12 which I don't think he'll be massively happy at apart from um, potentially the, the opportunity to show that he can play two positions and then Keith Earl at 13 now I don't think Keith is at 13 I think he's a much better um, winger but it's looking that it's unlikely that he'd be picked as a winger to go to the World Cup. This is an opportunity for him to um, show that he can play at 13 as well. And I think if in a World Cup environment, if you can show that you can cover a couple of positions, I think your um, your stock goes up. Yeah, Earl's had a good World Cup last time, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's a funny one because he, he would look to uh, have more natural ability, say, and more of a spark than someone like Felix Jones as a utility back but, uh, I mean, Jones is, seems to be one of those Joe Schmidt-type players whose focus is application and clearly does what Joe Schmidt needs him to do behind the scenes. 
Yeah, I think that's correct. I think he does do that. But uh, I think Joe likes that spark as well. He likes the highly talented players. And if he can get Earls operating at uh, you know to the best of his ability, I think he, he'll go for him. Um, as a winger, you, you, you rightly mentioned the last World Cup. He was really good. You know, He scored a lot of tries um, in top games. And uh, my one worry would be that he, you know, I don't think he's a 13 and playing your first game of the season against the Welsh backs at 13 is um, very demanding. And I wouldn't like to say a, see a player like Keith, who, who seems to be quite, um, his, his form is based on sort of getting a run of games together and getting his confidence going, um, not have a good game and then not have an opportunity to, to, to see him before the World Cup selection. Is there an argument, Shane, that the mindset for those fringe players, the guy who, guys who are really fighting for their places, is maybe more straightforward than for the top players, the J- Jamie Heasip, for example, is playing this weekend, in that somebody like, well, if I was Jamie Heasip, I'd be most worried about getting injured because I'm not realistically going to lose my place. And that, that maybe makes you play a little bit differently to how you'd usually play. Whereas with these guys like Keith Earls and Felix Jones, I mean, they've got no choice. They have to go all out to try to get a place in the team. Yeah, well, I think I think certainly physically they'll be going all out, and mentally they'll be trying uh, to perform at, at their best. Um, and you think of someone like Donnie Ryan, you know, you never see him when he's not performing hundred um, percent. So he's going to be going um, flat track. Someone like Jamie Heaslip, it's you're thinking in a different way. If um, when it comes to the World Cup, if you're a more experienced player, you're not so much thinking about um, can I stay. Um, uninjured um, on the lead up to it but you are thinking how can I peak at the World Cup so how can I get my best performances um, ready for that for that you know short window and that's not just staying out of uh, injuries way in the World Cup and sort of you know having question marks over your play and 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 not performing well it's actually performing really well in the warm-ups and bringing that um, into a World Cup and I think that's maybe some of the problems that we've seen pa- in, in past teams or past players who haven't performed um, that they haven't brought a, a form into the World Cup and it has been just about getting um, onto the plane and, and that's not enough yeah, and, really, and, and yeah. that said you risk the run of injuries when that happens Well this is it and say to the, uh, 2011 the results were disastrous before it was disastrous I mean they, we lost all our matches before and went over and hit the ground pretty much hit the ground running once we got there and won our pool games 2007 Seven really bad performances beforehand and never quite picked up. Do results actually matter? Do you need to at least pick up a win or two in these warm ups to just to be to have that little bit of confidence? Yeah, I don't think win, wins um, do any harm. Um, and I do think if you lose all your warm up games, I don't think it's it's a good basis to go into any World Cup, no matter how you want to spin it or there's an expectation then that things can change around the World Cup I think it's less likely to do so um, I know there was the you know sort of outlier in um, 2011 where they uh, lost games and went in and had a good World Cup but it's certainly not the basis that you'd want to have um, and you want to build a bit of momentum um, you know an odd loss here or there isn't you know isn't a, isn't a massive thing as long as your performance is good um, but if you're banging out your best team the last two games and you don't perform and you don't win then it's it's the question marks uh, are you know come into your head and a pressure an increased pressure even over that that exists in a World Cup um, starts to build and, and that can be debilitating. Schmidt was asked about Keane Healy today, Shane, and he, um, reading between the lines, it doesn't sound like Keane Healy's going to be playing any of the warm-up games. He's still having to do some of the sessions by himself while he takes part in some of the team sessions. 
Uh, he was asked, if, essentially the question was, would you still consider Keane Healy even if he doesn't play any of these warm-up games? And it sounds like Schmidt definitely would. He said Healy's the only player in that position. The other guys who were injured should be back in the next week or else the final warm-up game. Is it possible for a player like Healy to play nothing at all in the warm-up and start the games, start the games in the World Cup? Um, it's possible, certainly. And uh, I think of all the sort of players on the team, there's, a, there's only a couple of them that you hold open a place for in Keane's place he's an exceptional player so you hold that place open for him and I would imagine uh, Joe will you know if you if you can get him in even one game into the World Cup um, I think that it's worth the risk to bring him he's an exceptional athlete he's shown how um, influential he is to Ireland playing well and uh, I think you sort of you take a chance with that I was in a situation um, before the two World Cups that I played in uh, in 2003, I'd been injured for about, I think, nine months beforehand, but there wasn't a lot of wingers knocking around. And my first game for, I think, was nine months was the opening game of the World Cup. And that, you know, that World Cup went well for us. Now, similarly, or dissimilarly, as, as the case may be, I, uh, I played the, the, the next World Cup in France in 2007, and I got injured in the warm-up game as a... I was, I was actually warming up in a warm-up game as a sub and uh, got injured. And uh, I didn't play the first game, didn't play any of the warm-up games and didn't play the first game of the World Cup and really felt I was chasing my tail a bit. Um, felt I wasn't, having gone into it, feeling really um, well-conditioned and, and fast and sharp. Uh, didn't feel that I had that sharpness um, during the World Cup. And there was a general malaise over the whole team there. Um, but I don't think that that helped me. So you know, it, there's a possibility of it, of it working. Um, and I, but I, I think with someone like Keane Healy, it's yeah, almost, you have to. Um, you, you, you have really to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would seem seem probably strange not to. Uh, Ireland have been pretty low key in this one, Shane. They've in their preparations. Joe Schmidt never uh, really gives the players too much license to uh, give too much away. Anyway, but they've moved around Ireland a little bit. They're back in Carton House for a lot of the time. Warren Gatlin, meanwhile, has Wales going over to high-altitude camps in the Swiss Alps, had them in Doha for some training in the heat there. There were all these headlines we read a couple of them earlier on, like Wales rugby star Luke Charteris reveals altitude boot camp has left players unable to sleep and struggling for breath. George North has apparently seen gremlins during the exhausting fitness regime. Uh, what do you make of all that? Uh, well, I've been in a few training sessions where I thought I'd seen gremlins because I'm so tired, but it's been a, it's been a while. Listen, I think um, they do a, a quite a heavy PR spin um, from Wales, and in fairness, they're always in, they're very well conditioned in every tournament they go into. They're always very strong, and I think it's a big part of their psyche and. You know, Wales. I think a lot of their performances are based on confidence, and when they have, when they know they've done a long period together, and they've done a lot of work in the gym, and they're always, you know, they're always very well conditioned. That that is a good basis for everything else that goes along with it. I think you need to be careful if guys aren't sleeping. Um, that's not a good basis for training, but you have to respect that they they do turn up in good physical condition for. Um, matches and tournaments so um you need you'd expect they know what they're doing and sometimes you do have a policy to overtrain and then um you compensate by giving a, a longer follow period or recovery period and then it's a, it's a way of uh, peaking for a tournament so that you know we don't know the insides and or, or outs of it but you know the top class strength and conditioning uh, guys i don't think it's um 
Gatlin making it up on the back of a fag box. You know, I think this is this is this. It's very scientific, though the basis for uh, for um, training and, and preparation for World Cup now. So, um, the PR spin may be a little bit different. Um, it may be a little bit more out there, and um, you know, it may be a little bit more glamorous um, in their training facilities or, or um, places. But uh, I think Ireland will be getting a huge amount of work done as well. And with Jason Cameron, they've probably the best guy in the world, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's weird. It's just that the that it it might be the right approach for both teams. That Wales are really really comfortable talking about how they're uh, been put through hell and back, and Ireland as a team, maybe as a nation of supporters, are just a lot happier to just have this really really low key approach, and that both of them work just fine for the for the two the two respective psyches. Yeah, I think you know there's a different. This isn't psyches within the in the um, players, and I think there's also sort of culturally there's different psyches between you know Wales and Ireland, and I think we're, we sort of know what we're we're at at the moment, and I think we're more comfortable not being you know an underdog or always talking ourselves down, but at the same time I think the players uh, know not to over talk about what's going on because it's generally used as as a stick to beat players now. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be used to stick to beat uh, players in in Wales, but that's I kind of think I think the the benefits that they get from talking it and their you know the media at the moment, especially leading into a World Cup, everyone's so positive as well. So it's huge excitement. It's a generator for atmosphere and it's generator for for mood in the camp. So you know, and it does work for them and it has worked in the past for them. So um, there's there's nothing wrong with doing it. And I think uh, if you find that what what works for you as as a team or as a nation then you should continue on doing that and I think Ireland similarly have found what's good for them and I think that's just a little bit lower key it's uh, not too much um, uh, not too much access just enough to sort of keep us all a little bit um, you know salivating at the prospect of seeing these players and we get a little bit of a get a few clips here and there and a few sound bites but you know the players are probably a little bit more guarded about um, how they think they can perform uh, uh, without being without being disingenuous because I think it's clear that um, they're very excited about the opportunity and how well they can do in this World Cup all right, Shane, listen, we'll catch up next week, I'm sure. Thanks, Emilio. Thanks, Emil. See you. In the final and on in again. Andy A. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the drink to get off. Get him off the field. That was diabolical. Get him off the field. That's just typical of what he is. Get him walking. to be sent off. He's going to be out of card. A card speak. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the dirty guys off. You'll ball this gate, Campbell. A card speak.
Piquet. Come on, Cass, we'll be in. Mikael wants it down short side. Oh, Steve Blake, Steve. Oh, that's his end. What a magnificent try. Shoving up yours. He's the best cup in the world. Never mind, I thought I had something knocking around the back of my brain there. Remember when I mentioned Keith Earl's performances in the 2011 World Cup? And it was his interview with Simon Hick, if you remember, from Yes, I do time. remember, yeah. He talked to Simon. It was a really lovely interview, actually, just about how... Uh, it was this is a very joyous explanation of the emotions of playing really well and scoring tries in a World Cup. Uh, and he spoke specifically about visualizing lifting the trophy. <laughs> He's being kept awake by these thoughts of uh, walking around, being paraded around, probably on Brian O'Driscoll's shoulders. I'd say maybe on O'Connell's shoulders mm. uh, with the trophy in his hands. I do remember getting a bit of correspondence at that time. People saying uh, that's not really very good you know you're not really supposed to think about the, what about visualizing what you're going to do yes. when a guy is coming straight down your channel Well, this is the argument ken that he, he was visualizing the outcome rather than visualizing the process. the process a lot of mm. amateur psychologists out there again and mm. professionals such as yourself. god it was just great to hear him talking we're all reading so the same website. So freely you know <laughs> uh, it was just great to hear him talking so freely and openly until we lost the quarterfinal and then we all kind of secretly held it against him for <laughs> you know telling the truth about how he really really felt murphy you've been laid low with ashes cricket fever today you look mm. stunned by what happened to us Australia. Wicked fever on the only the only cure, more wickets. Uh, so yeah, Australia bowled out for sixty, uh, which was really quite something. Uh, extras top scored for Australia with fourteen. Uh, Explain that to the layman. Uh, basically, lay woman. When you throw a wide ball, uh, you know a ball that's like just is impossible for the batsman to hit, uh, and as a result. You know, is, is it's a concession of a run to the other team. Exactly. Yes. So that the, no Australian player managed to score more runs than that little than that statistical anomaly life. bit that they get. Yeah. Okay. Get awarded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so England were won the toss and decided to bowl first, and were batting before lunch, uh, and that's only happened four times in the history of cricket. Right. Uh, once in 1896 between England and Australia. Uh, uh, twice. Uh, uh, in 2008 2013 South Africa against India and then South Africa against New Zealand and England today and Australia's innings of 111 balls is the shortest first innings by any team in the history of test cricket two balls shorter than the 1896 Lords test which I just mentioned now the Guardian have helpfully uh, gone through their archive and found uh, the match report for that test match in 1896 and uh, the match report uh, is headlined Remarkable breakdown of the Colonials. <laughs> uh, very rarely indeed on a dry fast wicket has a big match opened in such sensational fashion as the meeting of England and Australia yesterday. The Australians won the toss and when they went in at a few minutes past 12, there seemed no reason why they should not make a capital score. <laughs> uh, the weather was delightful and uh, though Lords is admittedly not in its best condition this year, the wicket looked very well and bore every side of careful preparation. Uh, so there we go it's difficult to account for such a breakdown but fine bowling combined with some loss of nerve among the batsmen had no doubt most to do with it so it's basically the same history repeating itself yeah. uh, reading today the minute by minute great stuff extraordinary stuff though won't if you're listening via iTunes please rate us while you're there leave a nice positive comment as well the Apple people go mad for they go local yeah, they, really do. they love a comment or two there thanks very much for listening to this podcast today the football show is out there as we mentioned season preview Ken Hardy's predictions thanks Ken Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Ken. Thanks, Karen. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you Monday. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.